0: back to the Sync My Music podcast. This is episode two. I want to give you a little quick behind the scenes look that kind of shows and demonstrates my personal approach and mentality uh, in everything that I do. You might have noticed in that first episode, I was a bit scattered. I had an idea of what I wanted to get across in that episode, but I sort of meandered my way to the point. Um, the audio was blown out at points it was definitely um, way too hot the game was pushed up way too high so hopefully this episode I fixed that and it's a little bit more um, easy on the air so I apologize for that but um, as I finished that first episode and recorded it I definitely noticed that stuff uh, watched it back listened back to it and my internal critic was saying hell no do not release that that looks bad um, it's just subpar quality, um, you know, it wasn't perfect, so just throw that one out and do it again. Um, but I just fought against that inner voice, and I just said, nah, to hell with it. Let's throw that out there. That'll be episode one, um, which might seem, I guess, a little careless, but in my life, especially as I got into sync licensing, as I built my YouTube channel, built my, uh, my website, my brand, and now that I'm building this new podcast— um, I, If you've been following me for a long time, maybe you've noticed, I don't get things right the first time, I make a lot of mistakes, I do a lot of stupid stuff, um, I don't know exactly how it's all gonna piece together when I start a new project or a new endeavor, um, but you're not supposed to know all that stuff in the very beginning, and I think um, one thing I've gotten really good at is just going easy on myself a bit, especially when I'm trying something new, um, and just knowing that like my first stab at something will not be my best stab at it, right? I think having that expectation set that bar set way so high up there um usually you allow the you know striving for perfection to become the enemy of the good right you guys have probably heard that phrase and i knew that um constantly just criticizing myself and being way harsh on myself on that first episode and just not releasing it would have put me in this downward negative spiral of just all right well then was the next one better that i recorded okay that one wasn't quite even it and then i knew that i'd get into this sort of um self uh, defeating loop where i wouldn't want to ever put out anything because it just wasn't quote unquote perfect So I just put it out and I got feedback from you guys. I appreciate that feedback. Please always reach out and let me know what you guys think. My email is uh, jesse at syncmymusic.com. I love hearing from you guys, critical or complimentary. You guys, please don't be shy with that kind of stuff. But I'm really glad that I put it out and I'm glad that I just sort of kicked myself in the butt to just launch this podcast and move forward. And this is relevant I think to you because if you are starting in music licensing I, let me let me take a wild guess here. You don't have all the answers, right? You don't know exactly how to craft all of your tracks perfectly. You don't know exactly how to find the exact perfect library to, to partner with. You don't know exactly all the moving pieces of track registrations, PROs, royalties, publishing, writer share, copyrights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm sure you listening to this podcast right now do not have, quote-unquote, all the answers uh, to how you're going to handle all these obstacles in your licensing career. Um, And you shouldn't have any of those because you're brand new to this, right? You might be new to this. Maybe you've been in this industry for a while. I think most people listening to this podcast are fairly new to the industry within at least six months to a year um, of really getting serious into this business. Um, But don't let that stop you. Don't let that be something where you get into that self-defeating loop where you're like, well, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the best music yet, so I can't get started. I don't know exactly how to do this, how to do that, so I can't really get started. Um, Nobody, no matter, I don't care who you ask, nobody that's become um, an expert or at least competent in whatever that craft is or a particular industry or field nobody had all the answers when they first got started and nobody did it right the first time so even though i do provide for you guys especially through you know mediums like this i want to give you as much of my um and tell you about as many of the mistakes that i made in the sync licensing business so that you don't have to repeat those same mistakes that doesn't mean that you're not going to have some of your own mistakes that you make on your own that you're going to um, because nobody's journey is exactly the same right guys I mean I'm going to tell you and I do uh, detail exactly how I got to where I am in my licensing career and I do want you to follow in those footsteps to the best of your ability but let's not get confused here your journey will be unique to you and your music and the libraries that you partner with and how you go about your process for turning this into your full-time income and you have different bills you have to pay you have different people that rely upon you uh, for your income You have a different set of expectations about what is success and um, how quickly you expect to get there and what limits or um, expectations you set for yourself for the future so just be aware of that that no matter where your road is no matter what you're going to start to do whether it's a podcast or whether it's getting involved in sync licensing can't get away from the fact that in the beginning lots of things are not going to go exactly how you planned but the important thing is to see those and to recognize those maybe errors mistakes things that aren't perfect and never make them again try your damnedest to never make those same mistakes again. That is the big thing that I want you to take from everything that I teach you guys, um, especially now as you're diving into this podcast. So with that out of the way, today's episode of my dog here is sitting right next to me and she wants to be on the on the show, but sorry, you can't be on the show. But um, today I want to talk about the differences between working directly with um, music supervisors um, or maybe a direct ad agency or somebody that's Uh, directly placing your tracks into a program versus music libraries. I know that there are many uh, conflicting uh, bits of advice out there online in terms of which one is the better path. Should you just go straight to music supervisors who have these projects they're working on or should you do what I've done, what I recommend you guys do, which is get involved in uh, music libraries. So let me first explain to you um, why I don't believe that going directly to music supervisors, let's just take that as an example, is the best approach, okay? So I'm going to basically, in the beginning of this, Um, try to dispel some myths that maybe some people have, and then talk about the uh, pros and cons of that approach of going directly to the supervisors, and I'll do the exact same thing with music libraries. There are pros and cons to each, so don't get it twisted. There is definitely going to be uh, maybe some reasons why you'd want to go in one direction or the other, but in my experience, what I've seen, and also who I've talked to, I have many music supervisor friends. I have old uh, college uh, buddies that are now big, major music supervisors, and I get the insights from them, and I know exactly how they're running uh, their Operations and where they get their music and how they do that kind of stuff. And in fact, um, we will have an interview on the podcast uh, within the next couple of episodes of one of those music supervisors that's going to give us some great insights into how he curates music and how he selects music. And it's really, really going to be a, a fascinating interview. So I'm excited for that. I hope you guys are too. So, Let's first start with uh, what a music supervisor is. You guys probably do know what they are, but essentially their job is to find and secure and clear music for any type of medium. It can be a TV show, it can be a promo, it can be a commercial whatever it is that they're in charge of finding some great high-quality music for that is what they've been hired by it could be a production company it could be a director it could be anybody that's in charge uh, an executive producer anybody that's in charge of putting together a show or a promo or a commercial some sort of piece of content even radio stuff Um, they are basically hired a music supervisor is hired to find great music to place okay because a lot of times if you're a director or a producer um, you don't necessarily know too much about the music side of things you might know how to find uh, a great casting talent. You can write a great script. You can work with some great talented people. Uh, My dog really wants to be on this podcast. She's uh, getting very aggressive here. Um, But usually a, uh, um, a director or a producer or somebody like that is not going to be able to understand exactly the musical needs for their program. They don't exactly have that skill set to do that. So in comes a music supervisor who either A, themselves are a musician or have at least a background as a musician or a producer or composer, um, or they just really have a great taste. They're like known for having great taste in music and understanding it's really about communication. So usually these they're the big skill set that a music supervisor brings is that, let's say the producer of a TV show says, we need something that's um, sleek, it's futuristic, it's elegant, uh, and it's fresh sounding, it's modern sounding. Well, those are very, they can be musical terms, but in many ways, those are not really musical terms. So you need somebody to kind of interpret what that means, translate it into the music world to be able to find music that encapsulates those particular adjectives, those descriptive words that were required from the producer or the director, right? So that's usually how a music supervisor is going to earn their, their weight. Uh, or they're going to earn their keep, essentially. Um, second part is that they need to have the ability to clear music, right? So either they themselves are negotiating these clearances or they're going to work with somebody else that can help them clear the music for um, these uh, projects that they're going to be putting music into so that's what a music supervisor is and so a lot of people think that the best way to succeed with music licensing is just to directly approach them find out who they are you know do some research online even look at maybe some credits imdb credits for popular tv shows films look at who the music supervisor was a lot of times you can find them directly you know get their linkedin or get their email address and just directly pitch them their music and that's what a lot of people think is the best or the 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 most profitable I guess or the the most likely to get placements approach that they should be taking so it's not the path that I've taken in my career one of the main reasons is just because in the very beginning I was not introduced to that being even an option I actually was only introduced to this world of sync licensing through a music library so I was actually ignorant of that entire approach to this business I actually I knew about music supervisors but I didn't know that it would even be something you could do where you could actually just send music directly to them and then they can pitch it for the projects that they're working on. But here's some of the main reasons why I don't think it's the best approach. Number one, um, a music supervisor, a single one that you're gonna be submitting to usually only has a handful of projects that they're working on. Now it could be a few, it could be six, it could be 12, but usually it's gonna be limited to how many projects they can personally handle at one time because it's not like they have one track for this one project they do. Uh, If it's a trailer, um, that they're in charge of securing trailer music for, that could be six different tracks or 10 different tracks that they find to basically supply to the music editor or the, uh, the video editor to insert into that. So that's a lot of work for just one project. So usually you find with music supervisors, they don't have hundreds of projects uh, available for music at any one given time. Usually at one time, they'll have one, two, maybe six, uh, again, max, maybe 10. Um, but usually they have a small handful and they're usually working on one or two at a time. So when you direct directly go to a music supervisor and you have, let's say, a full album, 10 tracks, if your tracks are relevant for them at that one particular time and they want to take you on and they're interested in directly partnering with you, that'll be something we talk about in just a second here, um, then you're limited to those one or two or maybe five or ten projects that they have currently available for your music. So if you're lucky and your tracks are relevant, possibly you could get a great placement. Now, even if you do get one placement with them, how do you know that the next uh, couple of opportunities or projects that they work on will also need your particular style of music, whatever your genre is? You really don't because they they could be working on a TV ad today and tomorrow they're working on a trailer and then they're working on a hip hop thing. Uh, you really don't know and there's really no consistency on their part in terms of the style of music that they're gonna need. So you're just really limited in terms of the opportunities that, you're, that you have for them, which contrasts with music lab- libraries. Libraries usually have dozens, hundreds, of clients who have all each dozens or hundreds of projects that they are working on so well again we'll talk in libraries at the end of this uh, or the last half of this podcast so that's number one number two um, music supervisors more and more these days and I'm definitely getting this from direct um, interviews I'm having and, and just conversations that I have over the phone with supervisors they are these days more and more less likely to partner directly with writers. So a couple of reasons for that. Number one, sometimes it's a headache. Sometimes it's just to have to handhold and to explain to them what the contract is and to get them to deliver the finals and all the metadata if they need it, or they just need um, you know the the ultimate versions and the mixes and the stems and they just need all the stuff. Um, usually a supervisor is so busy with their job of actually getting music, they don't have time to manage a producer or a composer to get all the assets, to get them under contract, to explain a contract to them. It's a lot of work sometimes to handle, especially if they need a lot of music from a lot of different composers. Then you're talking about basically another full-time job of managing uh, producers and composers and all that stuff, right? Registering tracks. It's, It's just a lot of work. And they usually don't have time to do that. Uh, Secondly, when they only work with music that they directly um, get from producers, there can be another uh, legal issue where maybe they're accepting tracks from a composer who hasn't cleared all of the samples that they're submitting to them. Or maybe there's a composer who's sending music that they don't own or that it's tied up with another publishing company. They're not being forthright with a music supervisor. And bada bing bada boom there you go you got a legal problem you got a, a copyright infringement problem you've got a legal um, infringement problem and there there's lawsuits there coming so there's a risk by taking music from sort of unknown uh people out there even if they can tell you absolutely i own all this music and it's not tied up anywhere how do you really know that? It's almost impossible to really know that. Um, and the last is that they want a large collection of tracks to be able to sift through and have a lot of options. And so when they, if they directly approach and work with composers, well, one composer is only ability, uh, able to really compose so much music in one given time, right? How many tracks can you actually crank out in one month? Maybe 10, maybe 12, I mean, maybe 15 or 20 if you're really hustling, but you're not gonna be able to give them 100 options within a week for one particular placement, right? Sometimes they need 100 different tracks to really listen to, to find the perfect one to work with. So a lot of times these days, uh, supervisors are going away from the direct model, um, partnering with producers, and they themselves are also going to music libraries. Why? Music libraries have that quantity, right? They have tens of thousands, they might have 20, 30, 40, 50,000 tracks in their catalog in all different styles all different genres neatly categorized and organized and included with metadata and easy to be searched and you can instantly download them makes somebody's job a lot easier right That's a really nice service if your job is to find really high quality music as fast as possible okay then the second uh, uh, benefit for a music supervisor to go directly to a music library to secure this music legal uh considerations right all music that has been gathered from a music library has already been cleared, okay? So if you're a music producer and you partner with a library, you're signing paperwork before that music goes on their website, which says that is 100% owned by you, that you are going to either uh, indemnify um, them against any claim. So basically a lot of times a library contract will say, let's say that I submitted music with samples um, that I don't own. Somebody comes to the library and says, hey, these are unauthorized samples you're using in these tracks. Uh, We're gonna sue you. A lot of times your contract will go right back to you as the composer. So the library is gonna say, hey, hands away, we have this contract that's saying that we are are hold um, um, harmless for any infringement or anything like that so here's the composer's name you can go directly to them that's why you guys as composers absolutely need to be very careful about where you're getting your samples do not copy somebody else's track do not sample a track Um, nothing like that. Okay. And we'll have future uh, episodes about how to protect yourself on that. So going back to a music supervisor, though, they're going to go to the library and they're going to have assurances that they're going to be cleared legally to use this music. Okay. So that lets you sleep better at night, knowing you don't have to really worry about that. Also, they don't have to handhold or directly interact with any composers. They don't have to say, Hey, you know, I'm gonna explain to you why this contract says this. That's already been done. The library's already explained that. They've already handled all the composer side, all the composer questions. They've handled all that. And so they can just go right to a catalog from a library and just download what they want. It's all been pre-cleared. It's all available to be used. Um, And this is the contract and negotiation that a library and a um, a music supervisor would basically be um, uh, negotiating for each other to be able to use as either all the the catalog or just a portion of the catalog. All that's gonna be um, sort of agreed upon. Sometimes it can be a blanket deal where say a supervisor will pay a certain blanket uh, fee to say like, hey, I'm gonna pay you this amount um, every quarter or every year. And I want to be able to have access to all of your tracks. Of course, there's still going to be back end royalties associated, but at least for the upfront fees, our blanket license will cover all that. Otherwise, other times it can be just a one time negotiation where it's like, hey, we need one track for this trailer um, and we've got a budget of three grand for it, five grand for it. What do you got? And so they can be a negotiation negotiation based on what they need for a particular um, project that they're working on, okay? So that's what I'm seeing in this industry, and that's what I'm hearing from a lot of music supervisors. And that's why when a lot of people ask me, why don't you just go directly to a music supervisor, um, you know, as opposed to going to a music library, which is basically like a middleman, wouldn't it make more sense? You could go straight there. Um, This is why I say it's just not the right approach. I just don't think that it's the, um, the smartest approach. You can certainly strike... Uh, strike it rich you can absolutely get lucky supply the right track at the right time to the right supervisor that's looking for somebody who's open to working with you but with all of these variables in front of you man you're really stacking up all the odds of 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 not succeeding in your way there's just so many things that could get in the way with that approach that i don't think it's the smart approach i don't think it's the way that's going to get you the results that you want So let's go ahead and switch over to music libraries, which is how I got started, and it's how I've continued on in my career up until now, 11 years into it. So absolutely, they are middlemen. Music libraries are the middleman between you and whoever needs music for their TV show, movie, commercial, radio spot, anything like that, okay? So let's not get confused about that. They absolutely are a middleman. However, when we hear the word middleman, we usually think, oh, well, that's not necessary. You don't ever need middleman. Middlemen are not, no, they don't provide any value. They don't provide any service. I 100% disagree. I think in this particular situation with music libraries, in the sync licensing business, they provide a very valuable service, a very valuable uh, reason to exist, and there are so many of them, in fact, over 300 in, uh, in my music library directory, because they provide such a valuable service. If they were such a sort of forgettable, not necessary part of the industry, you would not have 300 of them. You would have... A couple that found a little niche for themselves but you would find that they would be they would be redundant and most of them would go out of business and be like yeah we don't really need this anymore but the fact that you see so many of them actually existing and cropping up and uh, continuing to thrive year after year decade after decade means that they're doing something that's necessary right they're providing some sort of a value to the industry and what is that value well we talked about that value already in this video they pure uh, procure it's always a weird word for me, procure, procure. There you go. Um tons and tons of, of music, high quality music. Gather it under one banner, under one catalog, and then provide that to their clients to various clients okay so if you are a music producer listening to this podcast and you don't want to have a full-time sales job and you don't want to go wine and dine an ad agency or a production company or a reality tv show uh, you know producer and you don't want to have to constantly be taking them out to dinner and telling them like hey you need to get my music you need to put my music in there you got to do this Um, if you want to spend most of your time just doing what you love which is what i love as well just producing music, just making high quality stuff, then this is where you need to partner with a music library because guess what their job is? They do all of that business stuff, wining and dining, sales pitching, uh, flying around the country, sometimes around the world, trying to get people under contract, getting um, sub publishers, getting contracts signed. Uh, I'm not that kind of a guy. I'm really not interested in running that kind of a business and if you are not either, this is why you really wanna work with music libraries because they basically take care of all that stuff that is going to get in the way of you being able to just make music because for me the most enjoyable part of my career is getting inspired hearing a track on the radio well what is the radio streaming a track listening to something on youtube and going damn that was a really awesome track I wanna go make music like that, and I get inspired, and then I start making really cool stuff. That is my 100% um, uh, reward for being in this business, and it's what I really do enjoy, and it's what I get high on. It's literally like I'm a music junkie. That is what I wanna do. I do not want to Call cold call clients. I don't want to try to wrap up a contract with them. Um, I don't want to be handling um, organizing an online catalog, sifting through metadata, um, giving, handling login information for my clients, um, calling them. And It's just a lot of work, and I'm just very thankful. If you're not aware, if you're not hearing this in my voice, I'm just so thankful that my music library partners do this for me because the way that I see it is that I get the privilege of just staying home, making high quality music, building up my catalog while around the clock, while I'm sleeping, while I'm working on new music, I have an army of people out there shopping, pitching, marketing, trying to get my music placed. Okay, I love that. I feel empowered by that. I love the fact that I basically, and they're unpaid. These are not people that I pay up front to do all this work for me for my licensing career. They will get paid. We will talk about that, but I don't have to shell out a salary or even a 1099 um, contracted them to say, please shop my music, please pitch my music with your music library. They're doing all of this while I'm home, while I'm asleep. And their sub publishers in other countries and other markets are doing this while I'm home, while I'm making music, while I'm whatever, going to the park, walking my dog. So that's really, really awesome. And that's what I think is so powerful about partnering with music libraries. So the flip side of it, the, the potential con, I guess you could call it, but I think that it's it's a fair um, uh, compensation, it's a fair trade-off, is... Nobody does things just out of the goodness of their heart. Okay, People have businesses, people have families, people have bills to pay, so libraries are made up of people with families with bills to pay, okay? So they need to be profitable. They need to be able to make money with your music. So how do they do that? Well, usually what you're gonna find when you partner with a music library is you're gonna split things right down the middle. So what does that split kind of look like? Well. You are the writer, right? You're the producer. You created this great music. You you produced it, mixed it and mastered it. Hopefully, it's at quality levels for the industry. As long as you've done all that, you should be keeping your writer share. Okay? When you get royalties in this business, you get things split down the middle, 50-50. Half of the money earned from performance royalties, stuff that airs on TV, movie and commercials and radio, half of that goes to the writer, the composer, whatever you want to call them, but they call it the writer share. The other half of the income goes to the publisher, okay? So when you partner with a music library who's doing all the whining and dining, getting those clients, getting those opportunities for your music, categorizing things, organizing things, creating the website, uh, marketing their music to their clients, who's doing all of that administrative publishing side of the work? Well of course it's the library and yes, a library acts as a publisher in this industry. It's a big point of confusion for a lot of newcoming producers. Why do libraries take the publisher share if they're not publishers? What do you think they're doing? They are publishing your music, right? They are finding outlets and mediums and profitable places to get your music pitched to to land so that you can earn both potentially upfront sync fees, the upfront payment to get your your music synchronized with the picture, with the with the video, and also earn you those back end royalties. So usually it's that 50 50 split that you're going to see uh, with libraries. Now that's probably what you're going to see for exclusive libraries. They'll, they'll usually. It's not always a given. You know, there's always room uh, give and take. in some libraries. Um, uh, well, I mean, let me let me split this up. The 50 50 split in terms of your publishing and your writers that. Usually is always the case with um, with exclusive libraries, and if they're not giving you one hundred percent of your writer share, they're saying, "Well, we're going to take the publishing, and we're going to take twenty five percent of your writer share, or we're also going to take fifty percent of your writer share." Be very wary of that. Be very careful of that. That is not something that I recommend you get involved with. I would only recommend you would even consider that. If they're saying your tracks will be pitched directly to this TV show and have basically guaranteed placements for that kind of a situation, this is why we need to do this. That would be something I, in my personal career, I've definitely said yes to those and I've been happy when those have happened. But I've also said yes to opportunities where it's like there's no guaranteed placements. Just to get into our catalog, you got to give us 50% of your writer share. Well, they didn't co-write my music with me they didn't even mix my music or master my music they didn't do anything they literally just took my tracks put it in the catalog and then they also took half of my income for that i really regret doing that earlier on in my career one of the big mistakes that i made but you know you live and learn just like the podcast right So that's where the 50-50 usually you should not be compromising on, especially just getting into a catalog. But when it comes to the sync fee, that's where you might see some wiggle room. Sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 75-25. Sometimes there are no sync fees that are offered. Um, In exchange, they might actually offer you a consideration fee, an upfront fee to say, listen, we're going to pay you an upfront fee, but per track, right? It could be 50 bucks could be $500, sometimes it's even up to $1,000. Again, depends on the library, depends on the quality of the music that you're bringing to the table. It can be very lucrative. Um, and a lot of times what they'll do is they'll offer you that upfront fee, but in exchange you sacrifice all of your backend um, potential sync fees that could be earned. So what should you do? Should you always take that consideration fee or should you um, uh, you know, all, uh, basically uh, forfeit this, the, the consideration fee to get those um, sync fees in the future? How do you really know this stuff? Well, basically what I always recommend for producers is just talk to your library. So let's say they offer you that. They say, hey, we're gonna give you 100 bucks a track, but no sync fees. There's just no chance of you earning any big sync fees down the road. Ask them: Do you guys get regular sync fees? Are there opportunity? How often do you guys get these kind of opportunities? It'll help me make a decision on whether or not I want to basically forfeit a little bit of income now for maybe some better, better opportunities in the future. Um, and just try to be as transparent as you can with the library, and they'll hopefully give you some sort of an answer that can help you understand whether it's better to just get you know, a thousand bucks for your um, album now, or to say, you know what, just take the tracks. I don't need that money right now. I'd rather actually um, get those larger opportunities uh, in the future. So again, that's sort of a trade-off. I can't tell you what the right answer is. You really just have to make that call for yourself, but that's usually what you're gonna see in this. Um, And then there could be some libraries that have no consideration fees and no sync fees at all. And it's not because they're withholding anything from you. It's because they might not charge any sync fees to their clients, they might actually just do something called a blanket deal, where that's what we talked about before, where they just pay or they charge their clients a, a quarterly or an annual fee, and their, their clients can have access to any any tracks they want to at any time, and they can place them as they need to. Um, also, some libraries that want to be super competitive will not charge even any blanket fees. They'll have no sync fees, no blanket fees. They'll say, "Listen, we don't want any money from you up front to use our music. Just place it. We're gonna we're gonna feed off of the back end publishing uh, royalties and our writers are going to share off the back end writers uh, royalties so is that ideal it's not ideal but you can still get those royalties that way Um, so all of those upfront payment considerations that's all it's it's wishy-washy it's like all over the place and you can find different kind of deal structures and different libraries have different ways that they deal with that But I always say, regardless of all of that, your writer's share is the thing that you protect first and foremost, and you do not compromise on that because that is going to be, at least in my career, it has been 100% of um, what has kept me um, doing this full time. Okay, if I didn't have royalties coming in every single quarter, both domestically and internationally, this is not gonna be something I can do all all the time. So if I was just relying on upfront um, uh, sync fees for let's say like the commercials or national commercials that I've gotten, I would have not been able to survive in this industry because you can't guarantee those. You can't, you can't count on those, right? Some months, you'll get four of them in a row and you'll have all this money coming your way and all these opportunities. For f- four months after that, crickets. Nothing coming your way, no opportunities. There's absolutely nothing coming across your desk and in your email inbox. So if you're relying on that, Man, you're putting yourself in a really risky situation. Consistent income through those back end royalties, I feel, is what is going to be the smartest path to keep you doing this over and over again and to keep with this. Because I, I had one um, previous bandmate and he went down that path of only doing custom work. So he and a partner actually started doing um, uh, music composing for um, commercials and they were making some decent money, you know, three, five grand per pop. Um, and it would be like a day or two of work, not too bad. And I remember talking to him and he was doing really well. They were doing great for the first couple of months, getting some car commercials and some great things, um, splitting it usually down the middle. Um, sometimes they would be back-end royalties, sometimes not, it'd be a complete buyout. Those usually would have the bigger fees up front. But you know, six months into it, I asked him what he's doing and he's not doing it anymore. And I said, well, what happened? You guys were doing so great. He's like, well, you know, it just kind of slowed down. You know, we, we were great for two months. We had a lot of stuff coming in. Um, And then it started trickling, trickling, and then in the last two months, we just haven't gotten anything. So we're kind of just doing other stuff now. So that is the danger of only relying on those upfront opportunities, those sync fees that can come in. Um, And you can absolutely get those through music libraries. I should definitely mention that. You don't only get those through, let's say, a music supervisor or somebody directly involved with the project. Uh, if the supervisor is coming, as I said before, to a library and saying, "Hey, we need—we have a trailer. We need a spot. It's—it's it's ten grand up front for the sync fee. What do you got?" Well, depending on what your contract says, if it's fifty-fifty, like like I said, usually it is. Well, then you're getting five grand if your track gets placed through the music library. Five grand's not bad for something that you already composed. You already did the work for it and that same trailer track can get placed again, and again, and again, and again. So that's what's really cool about working with the music libraries is that you still get access to these upfront sync fees and you also get access to many more of them because like I said, one library, a significant library that's doing well, um they won't just have one client right or just maybe four projects that they're working on they'll have dozens and maybe dozens uh, potentially 50 or even 100 clients that they've secured because they have people that call them and, and get them get them under contract and get these um these blanket deals in place or they just get these clients basically coming back to them using their music and each client is going to have multiple projects that they're working on so you just basically cast your net so much wider when you work directly with a music library so in this episode though i'm not going to get into how do you determine which libraries are great or how to like sort of weed off the, the bad ones or the ones that are going to flake on you and go to sleep on me, on your music trust me i have many youtube videos about that and we'll definitely dive into that topic a little bit further in future episodes but at least in this one i hope you got my understanding of why i feel that music libraries are a worthwhile and a very, um, just an awesome path to go in. And they're still very relevant. They're still awesome. Even 11 years into this business, I haven't seen a major shift away from them or any reason to go on a different path. And if I do see that, you guys will be the first to know. I will absolutely let you guys know of any sort of a change in a strategy that I think is profitable. But at least, like I said before, I will only teach you what I really know. And going directly to music supervisors is not a path that has worked for me or that I've really seen too many other producers do really well with. Again, you get the one-time hit, you get the one-time placement, you can really do well with those kind of opportunities. But if you want this to be consistent and full-time, it's the tortoise and the hare. Okay. So the hare speeds ahead, gets a big hit and then blah, 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 just like my old, my friend that was doing the custom work, lots of great stuff up front. Things started trickling, Started to slow down a bit. Okay. The tortoise myself, slowly moved into the business gradually was building 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 not just chasing not just getting oh i want this hundred thousand dollar opportunity if i don't get that i'm a complete failure you know not getting ahead of yourself but slowly you build you consistently build up your catalog and you work with really great quality libraries that can uh, open up this net for you of all these really cool uh, placement opportunities to build those royalties for you down the road so Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please do leave me a review, whatever you're listening to me on, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, even here on YouTube, I always love. Uh, If you guys are watching this on YouTube, leave a like, uh, do subscribe. Wherever you're getting this content, just leaving a a review for me means so much. It really does uh, help me uh, continue to do this and obviously to spread the word about what I'm doing here with this podcast and with Sync My Music. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you guys next week. thank you for listening to the sync my music podcast if you enjoyed the show and want me to do more episodes all that I ask is that you leave me a review on whatever platform or app that you're listening to it just takes a few seconds I'll never charge for this podcast and I want to keep it hundred percent ad free and your review right now will help me do just that thank you so much